So the weather, as you know, it, it has been raining. I don't know if it's, it might still be raining out there right now. It's been breaking today, but uh, man, it feels like it's rained the entire year. That's what it feels like to me. It's been, it's been extraordinary, actually. But um, I want us to jump in. We're talking about the, uh, the training ground, how God can use difficult things to train us and to break us into new places and spaces with God and just in life. So let's start by reading from one of the great chapters, at least the opening of the chapter, it connects directly with our theme, Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. It's to be made right in God's sight is to, be, is to be justified. It's one of the great doctrines and teachings of Scripture. We are justified. We are made right in God's sight, just as if I'd never sinned because of Jesus. Doesn't mean we don't, doesn't mean we're not broken, doesn't mean we won't disappoint, we do, and we'll do it till the rest of our days are done here on this, in this life. But we have a great savior. It's greater than our, our greatest ability to pull away from him. If we are all just open, he can, his love is irrepressible. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. This is the key to peace with God. It's the basis of Jesus. Because of our faith, verse 2, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. The older version says, this grace by which we stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. He says, in light of, of place and promise, we are to be an optimistic people. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, just to start, he starts out by saying that, that you know, remember, Paul says, you're standing with God that has been secured by a work that you could never do. Remember how much grace has been bestowed into your life. When you have a relationship with God, it's because of the, the bridge that Jesus created with his own life. He says, remember who you are, sons and daughters, beloved of God, in relationship by faith. And then he says, remember where you're going and live in that hope always. Never let, you, never let yourself be deceived. This is the only life. This is a, a wonderful experience, the only one we know. But... The Lord reminds us that this is meant to just be part of our life journey. That he talks about life and what is the life yet to be. And so Paul starts off by saying, remember the grace that's been given to you? You couldn't earn this thing. It was a gift from God. You only received it because you were willing to believe. And even that requires the grace of God. And then he says, and because of that, you have not only this place, but you have a promise that can never be taken from you. And that promise is anchored in the victory and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he says, live that way. How can, he says, learn to live hopefully. And so we are, we are reminded that, that we are to adjust our perspectives always. And yet that doesn't take away from the fact that between now and then, between who we are in Jesus and where we're ultimately going, it doesn't mean that there aren't things in life that need to be addressed. And I love the scriptures because they don't just talk about just getting us to heaven and escaping this world. It talks about consistently how we are to live in what is clearly at times an unfair, a broken, sin-impacted, as the Bible calls it, world where a lot of things happen that don't make sense. And the truth is some of them do make sense and they still hurt a whole lot. Sometimes they hurt even more. But in verse 3, he goes on to address that. He says, so we can, yes, we can even rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Why? Because we know that they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. 
and character strengthens our confidence, just reinforces our confident hope of our salvation that has already been given to us. And this hope that we have will not lead to disappointment in a world that is filled with disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has... He's given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We can get an impression of it because of the the real love of God that dwells in us by his spirit. Now, you go back to verse 3. Some of us us might say, are you serious? We're to rejoice when we run into problems and trials? It's the same thing James brought up the previous two weeks. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. We can rejoice. Certainly not because of the adversity itself, not because of the problems, not because of the bad things. We're not rejoicing because of those bad things that we're maybe having to deal with inside, outside, around us. No, it's not even, and, and we're not even talking just about the grace. We're not just talking about the glorified future. No, we're not talking. We're talking about the good growth. The reason we can rejoice is because God has made a promise. If we welcome him in to the difficult places of our lives, he can bring good from it. And oftentimes that good is, shows up in the form of development and deepening in our lives in ways that would not have otherwise been possible. Now I was talking with someone close to me and we were kind of joking together because you notice the word develop. We're talking about growth, right? And you see how in verses 3 and 4, develop is key. You see in verse 3, helps us, to, for we know that, that they help us, there it is, develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And so you see that word and and, and you realize that part of the key to development and growth are the trials and (laughs) the problems, that they're critical, that you can't, it's implied that you almost can't get the growth and the development without, without it. Now, some of us might say, well, what if I don't want to develop and grow? Could I like, can I like check out on the problems and the trial stuff? Is it, is it possible that I could take a pass on that, right? Uh, how about this? I'm content with no growth, okay? So can I just like get the pass on the trials and the problem part? And here's the thing. You can get a pass on the growth, no question about it, but not on the trials and the problems. They're coming either way. So if that's the case, hmm, let me think this through. I'm going to get it either way in this life. Then the question is, do I want to grow from it? That's our choice. We get to decide that. As I said before, one of the things I've reminded myself a few times, if I'm going to go through it, I might as well grow through it. Right? There are certain things that we have to deal with. Now let's talk about this. There's an amazing example. Speaking of pain and problems in life, one of the great examples in the Bible And some of you may want to just take at some point in the early part of this year a detour into the book of Genesis and check out the life of a man named Joseph. Joseph is a fascinating figure because his story, his account, the account of his life, it takes up. You know, we also forget the book of Genesis, 50 chapters, 14 of those chapters are devoted to the life of Joseph. That's a significant chunk. That means one quarter of the opening book. We're talking about a lot of things that are happening in the book of Genesis. To have that much time devoted to one person is an amazing thing. His life is an amazing example, a profound example of how to persevere and how to prosper and how to grow through the adversity that is sent our way. The pain that he had to endure, the things that he had to walk through. You know, we, we, he... We read his story again in the Genesis, but in the book of Acts, it's actually summarized by a man named Stephen. And I put his summary 
in the handout there in Acts 7, you can see what it says here. It says the, these patriarchs, just kind of, I'll, I'll try to get everybody ca caught up and, and see how it links together. These patriarchs, and the patriarchs that are being referred to here are the fathers of the Jewish nation, whom the tribes were named after. They were the sons of Jacob. Joseph was one of those sons. And Jacob himself was the son of, of Isaac. And Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of the nation, Abraham, the father of all, the Bible says, who believe in God. For Abraham walked by faith when he had nothing. He was told that if he walked by faith, God would make out of his descendants a great people. He, he couldn't even have children at the time that promise was given to him. And God said, your descendants will be like the sands, the, the, the grains of sand on the shore and the stars in the sky. And in a way, now everyone who follows Jesus by faith is connected as well to the Jewish people who are his physical descendants, that we all become, in a sense, sons and daughters of Abraham by, his, by faith. It's an amazing thing um, through Christ. And yet what we're told here is that the patriarchs, that is, these brothers of Joseph, they were jealous of their brother Joseph. And they sold him to be... Now, he, Stephen is in, in Acts 7 is summarizing this huge swath of, of information. And he's consolidating it down to just these two verses. He says, the brothers, were, they were jealous of him. And they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all of his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. Now, here's the thing. Um, it's, <laughs> you look at this and you go, wow, okay, that's a great thing. You know, Joseph is sold into slavery. God, um, you know, God is with him and God rescues him from all of his troubles. And then he ends up becoming someone who's promoted to the highest places in Egypt, Pharaoh's right-hand man, and he ends up sa saving his people. That's the, but here, you, the gap between verses 9 and 10. I mean, we read that through. We go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's just that good. The gap between verses 9 and 10, between when they sold him into slavery and when it says here that God rescued him from all of his troubles, you mark that. that, that that's, a long, that's a big space. I mean, that's a huge, that's year, we're talking years of, of difficulty and pain and uh, a circuitous path, years as a slave and, and then as a, as a prisoner in the dungeons of Egypt. I mean, we're talking about a, a long journey to get to that. The gap between 9 and 10 is huge. He starts out, remember, he's, he's, he essentially, his youth is defined by trauma. His own, his own brothers. Now, it's true in some ways, he was kind of um, uh, maybe a bit naive and perhaps self-centered. That seems to be the indication. His father, who created a dysfunctional family, was making a clear case for who his favorite was. It was Joseph. He gave him special gifts, special assignments, set him above the rest. He was the younger. He was given the this, this special place. His brothers seethed with resentment. We know that for a variety of reasons. We can go on an extensive study of it. The bottom line is this. They got to the point where they said, we're so sick of him, we need to get rid of him. And they, 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 they basically put him in a pit. And they were, they were really, he could hear their conversation. They were discussing whether or not they should kill him. 
And as they were having that discussion and thinking it through, they said, you know, all we have to do is basically show Father that special coat that he gave him, dip it in some animal blood and just say he got, he got killed by a beast and Father will go for that and we can be done with him. We're sick of him. And you hear, you re, they, then there's a slave caravan going to Egypt and he ends up, they end up deciding, you know what, what, you know what, let's just sell him. And he's sold. And they go, we'll never see him again. No one ever lives through that stuff anyway, ever. And you can hear it in the Bible the way it describes it. It's like Joseph is yelling, my brothers! He's in the pit screaming to him, brothers! Brothers! That, that kind of a, a scar, to feel that, to, watch, to, to then be so, what are you doing? Right? No matter what I did, how could it be like, how can you do it? Right? The, my brothers! Now, flash forward, years, I'm talking years of going and stuck in a bad place. And eventually, eventually, God works it out in such an amazing way that during this gap of time, through the pain and through the suffering and through the disappointment, through the, look, the moment where it looks like it's going to break for him and then it, he gets disappointed again. Someone lets him down again. He, this man demonstrates what it is to have a beautiful character in God, with God as he refuses to let the pain of his circumstances prevail over his life. And he, he knows, the Bible says it beautifully, but God was with him. And this idea, when he, but here's this moment, flash forward. He gets to this spot, right? where the brothers, years have passed. Joseph's now been placed in the highest position in Egypt. His, and then lo and behold, his brothers show up. And through a series of events, he ends up being in a place where they don't know who he is. They can't recognize him. He looks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian. How do they, well, I don't know. <laughs> um, and then, and then, and then and so they have no idea. He, you know, he's, he's clearly fully adapted into Egyptian culture at the highest levels. These guys are much older now, but he recognizes them immediately as his brothers. And everything in you says, ah, oh, you know, if you've ever, you know, if you're a fan of movies or novels, you know, I was thinking about Alexander Dumas's The Count of Monte Cristo, right? He's, this is a theme often explored. Someone is totally left for dead, totally treated unjustly, totally taken advantage of, stripped of all they have, but somehow, miraculously, they live. And then when they get through it, they find a way. And over time, they have the opportunity meticulously to plot in detail fashion how I will deconstruct the lives of the people who did this to me. Vengeance, right? But in Joseph's case, he has that moment come. And it's such a beautiful contrast because he's there and he, re he reveals him. First off, when he, sees them, when he sees them all gathered, the Bible tells us that he can't even contain his emotions. He starts to weep. He has to leave. And he starts weeping. I think all the feelings that came back to him. Right? Just, he started weeping. And then he reveals himself in this powerful moment of revealing himself. And they're, they're utterly terrified. They think, oh, no. Oh, no. Now we're going to get what we deserve. It's all coming back. Joseph, un shocking, unbelievable. Joseph. And they're thinking, okay, payback time. We're dead. Watch what Joseph says. This is what we'll put up. This is from Genesis 50. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. 
I don't want, don't be afraid of me. I am in the place of God. That is this. I'm exactly where God wants me. And then he says something that is classic when it comes to adversity, reminding us that things can be moving at multiple levels. Again, we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. God can be moving in one place. The same situation could be, the other circumstances can be moving as well. It could be a result of this, product of that. God's still weaving inside and out of it. It's not about separation. It's, about inter- it's all interwoven together. Joseph says, listen, you meant it for evil against me. That's, there is no question about it. I cannot, even now I remember. Even now I remember. You meant it for evil. And you can feel the passion in it. It's powerful. But God... I just try to imagine my mind's eye him saying it to his brothers. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He meant it for good that, I, that many people should be kept, kept alive as, as you're going to be today. It was a, it's a powerful memory. I don't know why. It always impact, impacts me. It reminds, what it reminds us of is that Joseph understood experientially that God can use the pain and the adversity that he does not initiate for good. Do you see that? God can use what was meant as evil even for good. God can use even our mistakes for good. God can use our choices that are poor, selfish, self-centered for good. God can use anything. There's nothing that he cannot get his way, that his good cannot find its way into. I know. Sounds incredible. I shift back to Romans 5 again. Look at this. Watch it through the lens of a different lens. This is the different. I put a slightly different passage in the um, translation in there from the message translation, so it gives it a different focus. Watch, watch if you can. Try to note, as we read through that passage one last time, try to note how the writer, how Paul takes us from saving faith into resilient faith. Okay? Watch what happens. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, that is set us right with him, make us fit for him, we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. Now, that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. So our faith move is really a response that we find he's already made the move. He started it in alert expectancy such as this. Think about it. He's going, we throw open those doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand. And I love this phrase. I just out to me, this is a characterizes this characterizes what the walk and life of a follower of Jesus is supposed to look like. He says out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory. I love that. It's not meant to be confined. It's the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory. This is what a vital life in Christ looks like standing tall. And it compels us to shout out our praise to God when we really understand what he's opened up for us. But then watch what he does. He then shifts from saving faith into resilient faith. There's more to come. We continue to shout out our praise. Look, we shout out our praise is, so, is such a part of our life because we live with such an understanding of God's love and grace at work in our lives that, it, that even the worst of life can't hem us in and stop it from flowing out of us. We're hemmed in with troubles. That's true. We can still rejoice because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. Look at that. And how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. And in alert expectancy such as this, eyes open, 
Spiritual eyes enlightened. We're never left feeling shortchanged. Nah, no, quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything that God generously pours into our lives through His Holy Spirit. So I hope we can see it. We, we can see how those who follow Him are to not just settle for a saving faith, as great as that is, he calls us and invites anyone who would follow him into the wide open spaces, into a vital faith. But here's the deal. That vital faith, it's always connected to adversity. Adversity, problems, trials, is just, that's the training ground that God works his way into to mature and grow and develop us to deepen our peace and to widen our reach. It's right there. The things we would despise is often the place where he provides the kind of environment at a spiritual level that breaks us into new places. I was reading, speaking of development, I was reading a book, a rereading a book an older book by a guy named Jerry Bridges called Trusting God in light of this series. And I remembered a story that I had read in it years ago. And he talked about this unique thing in nature, um, the Cecropia moth. And I thought, oh, moth, you know, moths, I didn't even, I didn't know exactly what it looked like. I thought, oh, moth, you know, I've seen a lot of moths in my days. They, they can't compare to butterflies, right? I was like butterflies over moths. So I'm going, moth story, you know, who wants a moth? So I went and looked up a Cecropia moth. And you go online, you check it out, but this is one of the shots of one. It's beautiful. Look at that. That is a beautiful, and it has its own beauty. It's big, too. And this is what Bridges wrote. He said, one of the many fascinating events in nature is the emergence of the Cecropia moth from its cocoon. An event that occurs only with much struggle on the part of the moth to free itself. The story is frequently told of someone who watched a moth go through this struggle, trying to break out of its cocoon. And what the viewer did, the viewer snipped, they wanted to help the moth, so they snipped the shell of the cocoon to help them get out of there. And soon the moth came out with its wings all crimped and shriveled, but as the person watched, the wings remained weak. The moth, which in a few moments would, would have stretched out those wings to fly, was now doomed to crawling out its brief life in frustration of ever being the beautiful creature God created it to be. What the person in the story did not realize was that the struggle to emerge from the cocoon was an essential part of developing the muscle system of the moth's body and pushing the body fluids out into the wings to expand them. But un by unwisely seeking to cut short the moth's struggle, the watcher, who had good intentions, had actually crippled the moth and doomed its existence. And then he goes on to say this about a spiritual principle. He says, the adversities of life are much like the cocoon of the Cecropia moth. God uses them to develop the muscle system of our lives. And so when it comes to moving through adversity, I have two principles to present that we can sit with, wrestle with, and pray over. Here's the first one, connected right to what we just, just shared. One of the keys is learning to accept and align, as Bridges would later say, insofar as we are able to see what God is doing, make his purpose our purpose. I'll leave this long enough up there for some of us to take a note. And again, if you take it on that, that phone app, you can do that as well. It's pretty cool. You can hold it in and keep, keep them on file. But here's the thing. It's like a patient who's going in for surgery, right? 
Um, you have to, anybody who's been through surgery knows, you, you cooperate with the process. If you go in fighting it, you're setting yourself back. I, I, have, I rarely, rarely had surgery. I mean, I was a boy, dislocated my shoulder. That's, I mean, maybe at one time I had my thumb somewhere along the way skiing with my wife. She was a better skier than me. I fell. I broke my hands. I said, "Hun, what, what do you want me to do? She says, go back into the valley by yourself. I'm going to stay here and ski. That's a whole other story, and I don't even want to go there. It's the last time I went skiing with her, by the way. And uh, so my, my, I, had, I, had, I had years where I had no surgeries at all, nothing, you know. And uh, then, like, the last three years, I, I've had to go in twice. Once for, it was, a, it was like a freak thing. I, ha, I mean, who's, who gets their appendix out at 50? I mean, I'm going, like, what happened to me? I was up in the mountains. I thought I had pulled a muscle backpacking while I was up there. I'm going, you know, I got, and I knew I had to preach the next weekend. I mean, actually, the next day. And so I remember going, yeah, I went and preached. The, I preached. I could barely move preaching. I couldn't, do, I couldn't even. I was going, man, I got some, something's wrong. You know, well, I ended up going in. I had my appendix had, had slightly burst open. So I remember that whole ordeal. That took me. That was, okay, the appendix. Okay, so then I went. I went and, then, and, then, and then about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I had to have vocal surgery a year and a half ago. And that was a whole other experience that set me in a whole other thing in motion. The point is this. In each of those surgeries, depending minor, depending on how one perceives them, there was a process that I had to align myself with. And for it to be as successful as possible, there were things you needed to do. You, you didn't want to go into that fighting it. You wanted to walk into it aligned. And that's a great principle, right? Because, you know, I, I was thinking about this a lot. When we're under fire or in the heat of things in life, when things are getting hard for us or we're afraid or we're angry or we, you know, the, we, we can struggle with accepting and aligning ourselves with, with what God is trying to do. Here's the, here's the encouragement or here's the exhortation I would say both to myself and to all of us. In those places, don't cut the cocoon. Don't cut it. Don't, tr don't abort the process. Accept, align, and then allow, allow as much as possible through much wrestling, pain, and tears, allow, allow his grace to shine through. One of the big mistakes we can make is to try to, to rush something through. Looking back on my trial that I experienced before and during my medical sabbatical in 2015, I had spent so much energy, I'll use this phrase, I wasted, wasted so much energy trying to control the uncontrollable, fight the unwinnable, that I actually set myself backwards. I struggled with this chapter for many reasons, focused so much energy on trying to solve and escape my feelings, my situation, that in my case, I delayed my learning and, ext and extended my duration again. That was, that was like, don't cut the cocoon. The struggle's okay. God's there. He'll help us through it. He'll grow us through it. Don't let work with it. Work, welcome him in. Let him work. Be patient with the process. That's a phrase I started reminding, patient with the process. One of the things I found is how incredibly hard it can be when we're in the middle of this a trial in life that's hard for us, or trials, because it can hit us in boom, boom, boom. We can get hit how hard it is sometimes to just like be patient and 
not try to escape, you know, when we're in pain, when we're suffering or feeling trapped or confined in a situation, we're feeling lonely or depressed or, or we're deeply conflicted. It's normal to want to escape that. Who doesn't want to escape that? It's normal to want to get relief in some way, in any way sometimes, as any way as possible. And, that, and there are certainly legitimate ways to do that that will help us. But I'm going to tell you, we've got to be really careful in these places because in these places, the real tendency will be, there it is, I'm going to use, keep using that analogy. You know what the tendency will be? To cut the cocoon. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to escape this. I got to do something. It, it, it might be reckless. Yeah, it might be reckless. I got to get out. I got I to get out of this thing. See, that is exactly what we should not be doing. That's how people, how we can get ourselves addicted into stuff that will actually be worse than the thing that we were actually in. It happens all the time. We want an outlet. We're in pain. So we look for answers in all kinds of different places, drugs, alcohol, pornography, sex, food, unhealthy relationships, relational dependency, you name it. We can find ways to try to address that pain, but it's not the solution. It just becomes a worse captor. The way is the way of Jesus. It's the Jesus way. And I am an unabashed proponent and advocate of the Jesus way because I believe in it. And here's the thing, and I'll leave it with this. This will be the last thought we share around it is that in most cases, not all, but I believe it's really true. Actually, I believe it's true for anyone who's actually listening to this. We are being trained and positioned for a higher purpose. It's very possible that God is trying in the middle of the mess to grow something into us or out of us. Prepare us for something we can't even see. A transformation. He's wanting us to make a blessing. He's wanting us to take from his hand that he reaches out to us. But it's hard to get to it because we've got to stretch. And that stretching, uh, we probably won't make the change on our own because it's too painful or uncomfortable. For some of us, the expansion comes via the breakdown. And you've heard me allude this, to this many times. I'm talking about the breakdown that leads to the breakthrough that leads to the breakout. There's those wide open spaces in God. That's what I'm talking about. Breakdowns are tough. They're the pain nobody wants. But it presents an opportunity like no other. Why? Why? Listen, you know why? Because when we're in pain, everything's on the board. Raw, real, honest, no veneer, no pretense, no need to fake it. We're hurting and we're blessedly open. Open in a way we would have never been. And something I want to say, we may never be again. It's possible. It's possible we'll never again be as open and raw as we are in this moment. We're trying to get out of it, but it may be in some way one of the greatest blessings in the pain, unlike anything as if we forced to think things, and I, I don't even want to ruin that moment. I just want to let it sit. One of, the, one of the things that I've noticed in the scriptures, when I, you read the life of Christ, and we'll leave it with this, when you read the life of Christ, most of his healings, most of his miracles, mo- and a majority of his teachings, or at least many of them, were connected to broken people. Why? Because brokenness and despair often open us up like few other things will. Keep that in mind. That's what we're getting. Don't cut the cocoon. 
don't, don't let it, let it work. Let it stay close to God. Wrestle. We're going to go up and down. It's okay. Gentle on yourself. Patient with the process. Let it be, let him work in our lives. We're going to grow through this. It's how it works. The Lord can do it. It's what he does. Two things. We're going to have our time of giving. I know a lot of us more giving online these days. I get all that, but we're still going to have our time of giving. After we do that, though, we have a song. Now, that song is a song that I asked if they could do with this. It's, this particular song is like a... I often say our closing songs are prayers, but this one will feel like a prayer. And there's a part of the song that says my... I, can't, I think it says, my eyes could see, but my heart was blind talks about walking through fearful places and how the Lord will lead us through the way. I want to close, though. We're going to get to that in a moment. But I want to close by having us look at the prayer that we're connecting for the week to this message. And I want to encourage all of us, if we can, throughout the week at different times. You can also use your mobile app to pull it up anytime. It's there. It'll be sitting right there. But I'm going to close it with this prayer. Lord, there are some seasons where things are hard. They're very hard. But I thank you. I thank you. See, like, that's like, listen, okay. Thanking him is like driving it, driving the nail into the wood. I thank you. I thank you. See it? That's how I see it. Okay. For the promise and the hope I have in you. Nothing need defeat or define me if I keep my eyes upon you. No. Even when I have little in the tank and I'm running on those faith fumes. Help me not to be dismayed, but instead to trust in you and your unquenchable goodness. For you have, I love this, you have a record of using the trouble of life as a training ground that creates out of our broken places a broad path of breakthrough and blessing. This promise I claim for myself in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.